The RV Show USA. Hi, it's the RV Wingman, and welcome to today's podcast. Before we begin, make sure and download my latest free RV report. It'll save you thousands when buying or selling an RV and prevent you from being ripped off. My latest report is available now at freervreport.com. The RV Show USA. Start living the RV dream today. And welcome, everybody. Glad you could join us. Alan Warren here, the RV Wingman. Pull up a seat around my virtual campfire where we're sitting around talking about RVs and camping and just good old-fashioned fun with some of today's most popular RV influencers. The RV Show USA. Start living the RV dream today. Now, today's virtual campfire is brought to you by My Free RV Report. Learn how to save thousands when buying a new RV and avoid being ripped off. Download the most recent RV report at freervreport.com. The RV Show USA. Start living the RV dream today. Hey everybody, it's Alan Warren, the RV Wingman, and today we're going to get right into it with our friends from Drivin' and Vibin', who profile four different main types of RVers. And what I want to know is which type of RVer are you? Here's Kyle from Drivin' and Vibin'. RVers are a mixed bag now more than ever before. And the largest contributing factor to this is the abundance and availability of mobile internet. It has really changed the face of who a traditional RVer is. And whether they're part-time or full-time, cellular internet makes working from the road a possibility. This means if you're on a family vacation and you just need to check your email or if you're working a nine to five as a remote worker full-time in your, in your RV, having that cellular connectivity at your fingertips makes both of those scenarios possible. With all that said though, the traditional RVer profile is still going strong. It'll be the first profile we study today and we call those RVers active seniors. In most cases, the active senior has worked and saved for many years to become a retiree and travel the USA. And while they travel in all sorts of RVs, the most common RV type that an active senior will travel in is a large motorhome. They love to explore nature, but they also love the high-end amenities of RV resorts and nice large RVs. Even when they're traveling, they long for a community experience. This is one reason why active seniors love RV resorts. There are community activities there, they have pickleball courts, and they offer public spaces for socializing. Connecting to the community is a large part of what active seniors want in their travels. Some of them even camp specifically at 55 and over RV parks so they can socialize with very much like-minded travelers. Here are some of the tools that are most important to active seniors as they RV. First is RV trip routing. Because they have large motorhomes, it's really important for this profile of RVers to get from point A to point B safely. This means not going under any bridges that are too low, any mountain passes that are too steep, and an RV trip routing tool can help guide them to the RV park in the safest manner possible. Another important tool for them are Wi-Fi or cell boosters. Even though they might not be working from the road, 
These cell boosters will help them stay connected with family, help them stay up to date with the news, and not have to rely on, say, campground or public Wi-Fi signals. And really, these active seniors long for smart and automated RVs. This means they want automated landing gear that will level their RVs automatically so they don't have to worry about it. They want a control panel system in their RV that controls the lights, the locks, and can pull the awning in and out, really just giving them the luxury and convenience of not having to do any extra work and just enjoy being retired and being in nature. They've worked and saved for many years, and now they just want to enjoy traveling. That is the profile that we call the active senior. The next profile we'll study is the digital nomad. And digital nomads are really becoming more popular these days. I mean, now more than ever before, because a lot of people are working remotely. There's a whole new group of digital nomads that are discovering the freedoms of RV travel while they work from the road. And quite simply, what defines a digital nomad is that they make a living on the Internet and this allows them to travel as much as they like. The jobs for digital nomads can range from a traditional 9 to 5 where they're working for a large corporation with benefits and with a retirement plan, and uh, they have to show up for work every day, but they show up for work remotely in their RV with that cellular connection. The other end of the spectrum are freelancers. It could be a freelance graphic designer, a freelance computer programmer, really anyone that picks up jobs as they go and works on their own time with really project-based work rather than typical hours for a nine-to-five. Often, digital nomads are a younger demographic, and they're very comfortable with new technology. Being adaptable and learning new technology is really essential for digital nomads. And the one thing all of digital nomads have in common is that internet connectivity is essential. They have to have internet connectivity. So a tool like a cell booster or a Wi-Fi booster is a must for these travelers. Sometimes they stay closer to urban areas if they want to make sure that they have connectivity, but they can also be camping off-grid as long as they have the right tools and do the right front-end research. Overall, digital nomads are a very adventurous bunch and they typically enjoy camping off-grid. Camping at RV parks is usually the least attractive option for digital nomads as they want to hike, bike, and explore on their free time. The income level can vary greatly for digital nomads, so some travel in a converted van or a teardrop trailer, and others travel in a large fifth wheel. It really runs the spectrum of what a digital nomad travels in. And like digital nomads, the next profile we're going to talk about is a rapidly growing segment of RVers as well, and that is the RVing family. A large number of Americans that are buying RVs are family RVers. They're typically millennials or Gen Xers, and the trips they take can range from a weekend to a month, and traditional campgrounds are the camping location of choice. These offer families easy access to national parks and state parks. They encourage activities like campfires, family hiking, and an opportunity to disconnect from the internet. Unlike the previous profiles we mentioned, the RVing families take this opportunity to connect as a family rather than just stay connected to the internet the whole trip. Camping off-grid can happen with family RVers, but it's typically in much smaller doses. 
because having water and power connections make family travel a lot more comfortable. If you're traveling with four or five people, water can run out pretty quickly and the sewer tanks can fill up pretty quickly. So having at least partial connections or partial hookups can be a big benefit for these families. Some of the most popular pieces of gear and tools that family RVers enjoy are quality camping chairs, a propane fire pit, outdoor games, and roadside assistance. You can see that this gear is a lot different from the previous profiles we studied. It's more based around that communal bonding time of a family rather than getting work done or living a luxurious RV life. And over the next few years, the RV family profile is expected to grow more and more because it is a new way that people are discovering to travel economically and experience nature together. And the last profile we'll study today is called the Avid Off-Grid Camper or the Boondocker. The Avid Off-Grid Camper longs for solitude and freedom and they almost exclusively boondock. This means they never have water, power, or sewage connections. And because of that, they have a lot of different needs than the previous profiles we talked about. Instead, they learn how to manage their self-sustained systems, and they typically stay at a location for two weeks before they break camp and dump their waste and refill their fresh water. Now, power is essential for these off-grid campers. Sometimes they use solar panels, generators, or a combination of both. Using these tools, it gives them the convenience of power without the need for a cord that you're going to get at a campground or a RV park. And some of the most important tools for off-grid campers are solar power. Also, auxiliary tanks for waste or for water. Having an extra tank where you can either empty your waste at a campsite or bring in more fresh water can really help extend the stays of an off-grid camper. Many avid off-grid campers also like cell boosters because they want to stay connected. But there's also some of them that want no connectivity at all. But I would say cell boosters are pretty common among almost every profile of campers. And lithium batteries are really coveted when it comes to off-grid campers because they're more compatible for off-grid applications. Lithium batteries can be used and abused a lot a lot harder and allow for energy energy to be stored much more quickly. The avid off-grid camper rarely stays at an RV park or a state park. Their entire mission is to get off-grid, to have peace and quiet and maximum freedom away from the rest of society. So of the four categories Kyle talked about, which one best describes you? Are you an active senior, a digital nomad, maybe an RVing family, or a boondocker? And then you know what? You may be a blend of more than one. I'll tell you this, Kyle is right. There are all kinds of people who RV today as compared with just a few decades ago, and it was pretty much a pastime for older folks. Not anymore. Thanks to Driving and Vibin', they do such a good job. I do hope you'll check them out. Find them on YouTube at Driving and Vibin'. We also have a link to them from our website at thervshowusa.com. Back with more after this. Helping you to learn so you won't get burned. He's back on the radio again. The RV Show USA, start living the RV dream today. 
So it is the holiday season, and Up Now is a segment that you may want to start thinking about right now. It's planning a trip for next summer. Not just a trip, but a fantasy RV tour. Never heard of a fantasy RV tour? Well, I hadn't either until Mike Windland from RV Lifestyle checked into them. And I'm telling you, they sound so cool. If, for example, you wanted to RV up in Alaska or Canada, but it's so far and you don't really know enough to feel comfortable about making the trek, a company called Fantasy RV Tours puts together the coolest travel packages ever where you travel in groups and they pretty much do all the work. And while much of Canada and Alaska are covered in white right now, it's not too early to plan your Fantasy RV Tour for next year. Here's the story. Let's start off by talking about what uh, an RV touring company does. Okay, well, um, for us, we are uh, pretty much the world's largest RV um, provider of guided RV tours or guided RV vacations. So in a nutshell, we do all the work and you show up and let us take care of you on your RV vacation. So we are we book all the reservations, take care of everything for you. Everything is included um, for you, uh, maybe an exception of a meal, a few meals that might be on your own, but um, gratuities, trip planning, all of, the, all of that is taken care of for you. And that's what RV tour caravan companies do. Now, um, we've seen uh, tours that you can take, you know, to exotic locations where you get on a bus and they take you everywhere. You're kind of the same thing, except we're driving in our RVs and camping in our RVs, right? Exactly. Kind of like what you're talking about, maybe a fly-in and fly-out kind of uh, location. We do the same things, um, except you are driving your own RV to that location, and then we bring a bus in and take you out to all of the different places and the things to see, the restaurants and um, bucket list locations. Uh, is there any particular type of RV that you are limited to? Can do you everything from towables to motorhomes? Or are they all motorhomes? As long as it's self-contained, we um, will accept it. We have a lot of towables that go along. We even have a few truck campers that have uh, joined us on some of our tours. So anything from a uh, truck camper all the way up to a 45-foot diesel pusher. Well, how many RVers are on a typical tour? I've seen you before. I think I saw one of yours in, uh, oh gosh, I want to say it was at a campground in Natchez, Mississippi, across from there a few years ago. And I was really impressed. They all came in and they all had a good time. We ran into them in town. Uh, but how many do you, do you normally have? Typically on a moving caravan, um, we have 22 guest rigs and two ambassador rigs. So we'll have a wagon master and a tail gunner. And, of course, the wagon master is the leader. The tail gunner runs behind everybody else in case somebody has an issue while they're on the road. And um, so it's typically 24 total rigs, counting those two ambassadors. Now, um, how, how are some of your trips organized? Where's your most popular locations? Give us an idea of what you would do on a, on a tour, in an RV tour like this. Um, well, it's important to uh, designate that a caravan moves. A caravan um, is different from a rally because a rally stays in one location, but a caravan will move. And our most popular location is Alaska, without a doubt. And um, you will arrive at your location. Usually we stay at the rally point, which is your arriving location. You're responsible for getting to that spot. Once you get there, Wagon Master will take care of the rest and give you all your information. You'll have an itinerary uh, before you go that'll be emailed to you. Um, and you'll get a book with driving directions and uh, usually we'll stay a couple of days, have a welcome dinner, get to know each other. Then, the, then we take off and we head off to um, say we're going to Alaska. We head off across the border. Our wagon master goes first, the tail gunner goes last, and we wait till everybody gets across the border and then uh, take off to our first campground. So uh, how many miles do you typically go in a day? 
Uh, we try extremely hard never to drive more than 300 miles in a day. Um, in Alaska, sometimes 300 miles is a little longer than it would be in the United States. So we uh, typically keep everything under 300 miles unless it's just impossible um, in some of the remote areas of Alaska. I think there's one driving day on our 60-day Alaska tour that's like 350 miles. Wow. As I was going to ask you, how long is the Alaska tour? But you have other tours. Tell us about some of your other locations that you go to. Um, we Another popular location is obviously the Canadian Maritimes. Uh, we do all um, about 10 uh, tours through the Maritimes, some just to the lower provinces, and some go all the way up to uh, Newfoundland. So um, kind of depends on how much time you have and what you want to see. Another great one, like you mentioned, that um, is our Mississippi River Run Tour. Starts um, up in um, at the top of the Mississippi River and drives all the way down to the bottom of the Mississippi River in New Orleans. And um, it follows the river. The, there's a road called the Great River Road, and it follows. so it follows that road all the way down. That's another, and that's a 34-day caravan. And, and how long are your typical caravans? What do they range from? We, have, we have any. We have our shortest caravan is um, our 13-day uh, Made in America music tour, which just does three locations. And our longest caravan is a 62-day Alaska tour. Now, um, do they start typically in one location and then do they return to that location? Can people join it at different points? How does that all work? That's a good question. Uh, sometimes we start um, in the same, in one location and we end in, well, we almost always end in another location. Um, maybe if we're talking about Alaska, we have some different itineraries, some that start in the United States and end in the United States. Some of them start in the United States and end in Prince George, British Columbia, and, the, and you get yourself back to wherever you want to go. So do we, we don't ever end up at the same exact campground that we started at. Um, obviously, on something like the Mississippi River Run, you're going to start up in Minnesota and you're going to end in New Orleans, so we're not going to go back to Minnesota. Now, uh, does uh, this is the image I used to have of it, and I don't think it's accurate, but uh, does anybody have to travel, you know, like nose to trail along the whole route? Can you stop at your will? You just have to get to the campground at a certain time? How does that work? Absolutely not. We do not go, we don't want everybody to travel nose to tail because then the person in the front of, is the only one who sees anything. So um, we have it uh, structured that this is your vacation. We, we're going to tell you that our wagon master is going to leave at 7 a.m. to get to the next campground to get everything ready. You are welcome to leave any time between 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. and when the campground checkout is, which is usually noon, 11 o'clock or noon. So people can get up and move at their own leisure, and the tail gunner is going to stay in that campground until the last rig has left. And um, so, and if there's something, we'll give you suggested things to stop and see along the way, um, especially. Um, I hate to keep going back to Alaska, but in Alaska, there's a lots of um, places where you want to pull off to the side and take a picture. You want to see, you want to stop and get the world's largest cinnamon roll. You, we're going to tell you all those places to stop and do those things. And, um, you know, maybe we even have people who want to uh, go see a brother-in-law or a family member that lives in an area nearby. They can go do that. It's their vacation. They just need to let the wagon master know, hey, I'm not going to be until late tonight. The tail gunner doesn't need to watch for me. I'm going to be doing this instead. Or maybe they want to go hiking or biking on a trail and they want to take a break between and, and and go do that. That's perfectly fine and encouraged. Now, you mentioned uh, many of the meals are provided. Talk about that for us. Right. On our itinerary, you'll see um, how many meals are provided on, on a caravan or a rally, either one. And um, so we book those for you. It's almost always going to be one meal. Um, I don't want to say per day, but at least one or two meals per stop, wherever we are. Sometimes it's a campground meal because there's no, uh, in a remote location, there's no restaurant that we might be able to go to. So the wagon masters will provide a campground meal. It's not a potluck. We don't have the guests do that. The, wa the wagon masters and the tail gunners will prepare a really nice meal, not just a, not just hamburgers and hot dogs every time either. So, um, so the meals are uh, mostly provided. Obviously, if you have special dietary needs or something like that, you would need to make arrangements for 
certain restrictions. We do our best to help alleviate those, but we can't always guarantee that there'll be a, um, a restaurant meal that will be completely 100% what everybody needs. <laughs> All right, here's the big question that everybody is listening to. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Now, how much does this cost? The great thing that I'm just going to say up front is that we like to make our tours affordable for everybody. So we do offer a monthly payment plan that is a no interest monthly payment plan, no credit check. So if it's something somebody really wants to do, we encourage them to take a look at uh, paying it monthly. Uh, most of our tours book out about two years in advance, so that really does make it kind of affordable. If you want to go on a 60-day Alaska tour, um, you can do payments for the next 24 months on that, which makes it much more affordable. If you're looking at something like our uh, Made in America music tour, we're talking about you know around $5,000 for that caravan for two people. If you are looking at a 60-day Alaska tour for 2025, we're looking at about $15,000 for two people in an RV. Again, yeah, it's a long on the road a lot. That's your meals and it's your camp fees. It's, it's yeah. every camping reservation. It's all the excursions. It's like um, if you think about a cruise and you go on a cruise and you go on these excursions, those are all extra charges. You have to pay an extra fee to go on that. These were all included for you. We're going to take you to the most iconic things that you've ever heard about going to Alaska. We're going to take you on the White Pass train. We're going to take you down into Skagway and let you see <laughs> let you see the gold rush. And we're going to take you to Chicken, Alaska, where you can you know actually pan for gold on your own. And um, all the iconic things that you want to do you want to see wildlife we're going to take you on multiple boat cruises and those are all going to be included and the gratuities for those vendors are included also so you're not expected to tip a whitewater rafting captain or any of those things sounds pretty cool right i mean fantasy rv tours does all the legwork so all you got to do is show up with your rv and start having fun now, Mike did an entire video, much longer than this segment, with Stacy from Fantasy RV Tours that you may want to check out. They sound like a blast. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Mike Winland, once you land on his YouTube channel, I'll bet you, I'll bet you you're going to be hooked. Check out RV Lifestyle. It's simple. Just go to RV Lifestyle. We have a link also up to Mike, as well as other RV pros and influencers that we really endorse on our webpage at TheRVShowUSA.com. And welcome back, everybody, to our virtual campfire before we roll into our next segment, if you'd like to stay connected with us during the week, just jump on over to our website and add your name to our email list. I send out one email each week that'll take you about a minute or less to read. We don't sell or provide your name to anyone, and you can easily unsubscribe at any time. So again, if you'd like to stay connected, add your name to our email list at thervshowusa.com. All right, one of the harsh realities for RVers is that many of them are so excited about their RV purchase, they don't have a complete grasp and understanding of what they're getting themselves into. Now, everyone thinks they know, but few people actually know, and they realize these things after their purchase. To help you understand some of the important pre-purchase things to consider are my friends from Endless RVing, MJ and Izzy. There are tens of thousands of people looking for RVs at any given time, whether it's your first RV or whether you're looking to upgrade an RV. We are going to give you some must-do tips to help you through this process. Number one is depreciation. So when you get that new RV and you drive it off the lot, many of you know this, it immediately loses a lot of value. The second reason is that you have more buying power buying used. And what do I mean about that? You can buy more RV for 
your budget, yeah. right? So, for example, like a brand new Dutch Star, the MSRP, they're over seven hundred thousand dollars, and that's not what you're paying for them. But you can buy get a used one for significantly less. And we're not talking about ten years old. We're talking about maybe two years mm-hmm. old, hundreds of thousands of dollars less. So you have significantly more buying power. And then finally, many RVs, the issues you're going to have are going to be with those first one or two years, which are under warranty. But why do you want to deal with that, right? A lot of these RVs that have been owned, the shakedown, the issues have been have been handled either by the owner or the manufacturer. And if you do your homework and you listen to the other things we're going to tell you, you can get a really good deal. The next one, and I know a lot of people that do this and... They did it in COVID a lot. God bless you, yes, is buying sight unseen. A lot of people are okay with that. That's not something that we would recommend and don't, definitely don't not do something... Don't do it, guys. Yeah, we do would, not, we do would not do. Guys, here's some of the reasons you should never buy sight unseen. It is a rare occasion when RVs come directly from the manufacturer without issues, never mind ones that are on the dealership lot. We've been to many dealership lots. The doors are left open. We've seen mouse poop in these things. Batteries, batteries that are dead, <laughs> you know, things that are laying out with slides open when it's snowing out. You don't know who's going in and out of them. You don't know how it was treated. Do not, repeat, do not buy an RV sight unseen. And if you're going to buy an RV, the next one's really right, important. So the next one, if you are going to buy and you're not going to take our advice, it's fine. Definitely always, and you know what I'm going to say, say it with me, get an RV inspection. A lot of people say even on new, yes, even more so on new lately with, you know, the quality control issues over the last few years since COVID. An inspection is really, really important because when these things are being made new, like I said, this is not, you know, 10, 15 years ago where the quality was a little bit different. There's a lot of things that are not being done and where actually the dealership is becoming the last step of the quality control quality. Yeah, exactly. So you want that inspection done there. And if a dealership gives you a hard time, we've said this a million times too, go somewhere else. You have to be respected and know you are paying a lot of money for this and it's really, really important. We have very good friends. Many of you know Pierre and Laurel of Blue Ox RV Inspection. We'll link their channel down below. They have tons of videos all about different inspections and what were found and many of them on brand new RVs. Now, if you buy an RV from a dealership, they're going to have a PDI process. Some dealerships are much better than others. But the reality is a lot of times the PDI process is nothing more than them. Like, I don't even know what they do because they miss so many obvious things in the PDI. So don't be fooled about bypassing a certified third-party inspector because you got a PDI. Because many inspectors, I mean, right after the the, uh, RV's PDI, both at the factory and at the dealership, find major problems. The next one is really huge, and this is something that we kind of really didn't do, or I wish we had have done more, which is not considering the towing capacity and the cargo carrying capacity. You want to make sure your tow vehicle, now when we had our Jayco, we did make sure yep. of this, you want to make sure that your tow vehicle is capable of towing your RV. And now I talk about the dry weight, because unless you're traveling with absolutely nothing in your RV, which you're not, you have to take this into consideration. A big area, you'll see the half-ton fifth wheels. That's kind of a marketing thing. There's very few half tons that can tow fifth wheels. I'm not saying that there there aren't out there, but they're very few. You have to talk about the towing capacity as well as the payload of that tow vehicle. The next one, and this is definitely something we did the first time around when we got our trailer because we really didn't know anything, is not researching and making sure you're getting the best price that you possibly can. And this was very apparent during COVID. People were paying things MSRP over MSRP, and and right now those people are in a world of hurt if they're not repoed already. There's no way you're going to be able to sell an RV that you paid MSRP for at what you paid for. Like These are not even assets. These are depreciating items. You want to make sure you get a fair price. 30 40% 
40%, 45% off is not unheard of in many different brands. So don't be afraid to go out there and to get a good price. There is a good resource out there. It's called RV Appraisals. They have a website. And what they do is, and we have no affiliation to them, send them the RV you're going to get, and then they do a fair market value. So they compare it to other RVs that are out there, what's been sold, how long it's been sitting to be sold, and they give you a real world market price. Because the NADA is made for dealerships. So just keep that in mind. The more you can do your due diligence, do your own research, the better. So getting into buying too big, buying too small, a couple things. The floor plans, you want to buy a floor plan that's comfortable for who's going to be in the RV. For you, your significant other, your kids, if they're going to be traveling. Don't worry about what your kids think of it, what your friends think of it, because ultimately you're making the payments, right? You're buying that. So you have to be comfortable in that RV. Now, we see a lot, you know, the van life is a huge thing right now. Mm -hmm. And kudos to people that can travel in vans. I'm going to say this. If it's more than two people... Man, a van is pretty tough. That, like, realistically. Like, you like the interstate. I do, but it would be has, me and you. Yeah, but yeah. but if, if you have more than two people, you have dogs, if you have kids, guys really consider like the, the Class Bs or the smaller ones. I would go out and rent them because Try they are tight first. inside. Yeah. Not only they're tight inside, they have limited capabilities as far as tanks, if tanks at all. Yeah. Storage, it's it's a big issue. It also depends, too, on you. For example, Jason is 6'5, yeah. right? Our son, if you don't know Jason, he's 6'5. He's not going to do very well in a van. You have to take into your you know, into consideration yourself. Correct. And now we'll go on the flip side and say going too big. We have 37 feet. We've considered going bigger. But at the same time, listen, the more stretched out, the more real estate you have, the more that is to maintain. The more expensive it is to maintain. It takes a lot more time for me to clean a 37-foot motorhome washing it versus a 17 or 18-foot van or a car, right? Like it takes at least an hour to wash this quickly. Yes. And also it takes a lot more that you have to consider now in terms of traveling when you're on the road, right? right? If you're too high, if you're too wide, if you're too long, can you stay in certain state parks? There's going to be places that you can't stay if you have a 45-footer. Correct. And you just have to know that and be okay with it. So the next one is a common one, and RVs are expensive, no doubt, especially when you start getting into the motorized. The next one's going to be not leaving enough down payment, financing for too long, 20 years, i.e. Also not having a budget for outfitting your RV as well as what it takes to even furnish your RV. Guys, a lot of people make these mistakes. You don't realize, but we didn't know, right? Like how expensive it is to keep something like this behind it. And this is like a little over entry level motorhome. Diesel would be far more expensive to keep on the road. Every time we take this thing out, like every time this hits the road, it's a minimum. I take it to the repair facility. It's a minimum of $75 just in fuel. Every time we go out camping, $200 in fuel, two to $300 in, in camp fees, plus whatever we spend going out. So it can get really expensive. And you don't want to have an RV that you buy and it's just sitting in your driveway because that's a really bad thing. So take that into consideration, especially on the longer term loans. If you're pulling out on a 20 year loan, you're gonna not gonna have any kind of equity in your RV. If you decide to upgrade, if you decide to trade in, you're probably gonna be underwater. I told you these guys were good. They really are. And what Endless RVing would like to see is what I'd like to see. And that's more happy campers than ever. And becoming and staying a happy camper means you are a smart camper. Listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos like those on Endless RVing is a positive step in that direction. I hope you'll check out Endless RVing on YouTube and subscribe to their channel. Oh, of course, we have a link to them on TheRVShowUSA.com along with links to some of our favorite content providers and podcasters. 
By the way, when you're on our website, make sure you download my latest RV report for RV buyers and sellers. It's totally free and loaded with tips and advice that will help you make the right decisions when you're buying or selling your RV. And one more thing right now, we'd love to hear how you think we're doing. Give us a shout and leave us a voicemail at 1-330-WINGMAN, 1-330-WINGMAN, 1-330-946-4626. Hey, it's the RV Wingman, and before we roll into our next segment, I want to invite you to join me around my virtual campfire on YouTube. That's right. The RV Show USA has a YouTube channel where you'll find the video version of today's radio show. And welcome back to the show, everybody. Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. And if you're catching this segment, most likely you are either an RVer or you have an interest in RVing. But either way, and even if you don't like RVs, I'm pretty sure that you have had your share of disappointments. I mean, life, as they say, may be like a box of chocolates, but sometimes those chocolates are filled with some things that, well, we really don't like. Those are our disappointments. So what's the big deal, you ask? Well, according to the Dry Creek Wrangler, we may be able to reduce the amount of disappointments we experience in our lives by doing one little thing. Hey, it's worth considering. Here's Dwayne Noel, the Dry Creek Wrangler. I had something on my mind, something's been bouncing around inside my skull, and I just I wanted to share it with you. I've had a saying that I, I've said for years that expectations are the breeding ground of disappointment. If you have little expectations, you have little disappointments. If you have great expectations, you have great disappointments. Now, much of our um, emotional turmoil in life is brought about by disappointments. Whether it's uh, anger and, uh, or sadness or whatever, we develop expectations. And when those expectations are not met, then we get, we get angry about it or we get discouraged about it. Um, you know, I realize now I got a lot of my my view on how a man should behave and how a man should treat other men from reading, and um, and that can be that can set a really high bar. And so there were things when I approached manhood and I moved into manhood, there were things that I just absolutely 100% would not do because I wasn't going to be that guy, and uh, I I was not going to do certain things to people who called me friend or, or people that I called friend, I wasn't going to behave in a certain way because um, friends don't do that. Uh, but apparently the guys I hung around with, they didn't read the same books I read. I, none of them are friends now. None of them. Um, because, but it would tear me up so bad because I had such high expectations uh, of their behavior. I expected that anybody who called me friend, I expected them, they were going to treat me the same way that I treated them. Um, and there were certain, you know, and I wasn't, you know, I had my own issues and, uh, you know, I wasn't the easiest guy to be around, uh, but I was, there were just places I wouldn't go. There were lines that I would not cross. And uh, my expectations were that they wouldn't either. You're a young person, you go into a job and that job is a big disappointment. The reason that job is such a disappointment is because you developed out of thin air, you developed expectations for that job. You know, you're 
17, 18, you get your first job flipping hamburgers and you think this is what it's going to be like. You never experienced before. You don't know it, but you expect this is what this has to be like. I'm going to be free. I'm going to get my own money. Uh, I'm going to be working all day with a bunch of other young people my age. And I'm finally moving out into freedom. I'm moving out into adulthood. Uh, what I've been looking and thinking that my parents have that I want. And you go and it ain't what you thought. It's not what you thought. And the disappointment is keen because the expectations were high. It's the same going to college. You go to college and you pick a degree and you spend four years slogging after that degree and you get out and you expect to get a wonderful job. Um, and it doesn't happen because real world doesn't follow along the path of expectations. People do not follow along the path of expectations. It happens in the horse world as well. People want a horse. They've never had a horse before. They've watched TV. They've watched movies. They've had friends that have horses. And they want a horse. They're going to buy a horse. So they buy a horse. They have expectations of what they expect that relationship with that horse is going to be. Uh, I, this, I watch Spirit of the Cimarron, so I know how this is going to turn out. When I was a kid, I read Black Beauty. Uh, I'm going to love this horse, and this horse is going to love me. And uh, we're going to gallop bareback across the plains with the wind in our hair. And, and uh, those are expectations. That's not reality. Uh, people, I expect this is how it's going to feel to ride a horse. I expect that when I communicate to the horse, this is how the horse is going to respond to my communication. I expect that when I walk out there with carrots and apple slices and, and treats and, and my heart just full of love and emotion for that horse, that the horse is going to reciprocate. And they don't. And a lot of people, after a while, they get out of horses. They just quit horses. Was there something wrong with the horses? No. The horse just wound up being, in reality, what a horse is. The only problem was the person's expectations and the greater their expectations the greater their disappointment all right so if you are going through life right now and relationships and yourself uh and your job and your church your pastor um your your new hobby your whatever and you just find you know every everywhere i turn it's just a disappointment got a new girlfriend and she's just a disappointment well if she's a disappointment, it's because you expected certain things without knowing why you would expect those certain things. Your job is a disappointment because you expected it to be like this. If you want to cut down on the disappointments in your life, just take a step back, take a deep breath, and temper your expectations. Because life is life, and people are people. And if you approach a new friendship, a new relationship, and you have no expectations, then when it falls apart, you have no disappointments. Okay, uh, you approach a new job. It's like this job is a means to buy groceries, and that's that's all I expect from it. I expect a paycheck. I do not expect fulfillment. I do not expect to find my destiny. I do not expect to find my personal identity. I do not expect to find the joy that reaches to the skies from this job. What I expect is a paycheck, and I don't expect that paycheck to be very good. I expect them to take a lot of taxes out and a lot of fees and stuff, but I expect a paycheck. And then if you get a little bit more from that, if you make good friends there, if you find fulfillment in your work, uh, if you find how you want to spend the rest of your life, then you're pleasantly surprised. But if you walk into it expecting, again, like I bring up all the time, if you go into it expecting Hollywood, if you approach life like it's a Hallmark movie, then your life is going to be one great, big, giant disappointment. And I think maybe if several of you, there's several people out there, there's a lot of people out there in the world, if you look at your... If you actually step back and analyze and look at your depressions, look at your um, lack of ambition, look at your, your lack of willingness to enter into new relationships, look at your unwillingness to go back into church, 
uh, a lot of it is if you'll sit down and sort through it, it was unrealistic expectations, ran smack dab into reality, and it fathered a bunch of disappointment. All right? You can't be 40 pound overweight, 48 years old, and expect to go to the gym and keep eating like you eat and walk out of there in two weeks looking like the Wolverine. Not realistic expectations. Okay? You can't be extremely overweight and out of shape and not exercise and spend three weeks on Jenny Craig and come away looking like some Hollywood model. Your expectations are not realistic. And when unrealistic expectations run into real-world reality, you wind up with crushing disappointment. Okay? So just stop expecting so much. The adventure is seeing what is around the corner, what is over the hill, what is around the bend. What's around that bend? I don't know. Let's go find out. And not having any idea is part of the fun. That's part of the adventure. So what are we going to do? Let's go climb that hill and look on the other side and see what's there. What do you expect to be there? I have no idea. If I climb that hill and look on the other side and there's a swamp, I didn't expect anything different, so I'm not disappointed. If I find a beautiful little meadow with a stream, a brook running through it, and three or four deer feeding, maybe a giant six-by-six elk out there, then I'm ecstatic, and it's all good. Because the adventure is climbing the hill to see what's on the other side, not sitting on this side, making up what is going to be on the other side, and then going over the hill to see if what you made up in your mind is actually there. That is a funky way to go through life. Okay? Just just don't do it. Just, I'm going to say it again. Just chill. Okay? Just approach life. What's around the bend? What's around the corner? What am I going to find in this new friendship? What am I going to find in this new relationship? I have no idea. It might be a swamp. If it is, I'll walk away. I've lived this this long without that person. I'll live the rest of my life without them. It's all good. But if they turn out to be a wonderful person, a person that I just clicked with, one of those friends for the ages, then I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised. But I won't know until I go over that hill with no preconceived expectations. This guy is so dang wise. I just love listening to him. I can see what Dwayne means, but then again, when you know someone is capable of doing a better job, it's not easy to lower expectations. At least it's not for me. I guess that's a fine line to walk, but in any event, I really do enjoy a true real-life cowboy's perspective. And I even think I'd consider going to his Dry Creek Wrangler School just to hang out with him. He is one cool cat, I'm telling you. I encourage you to go to YouTube and look up Dry Creek Wrangler. You'll be glad you did. And tell Dwayne the RV wingman has been talking about him. All right, they're giving me the signal to wrap it up. But before we do, to get the latest version of my free RV report showing you how to save thousands of dollars when buying a new RV and learn how to not get ripped off, you can download it right now on our website. Yes, you can at thervshowusa.com. And remember, if you're looking for a great RV dealer to do business with, I hope you'll check out those of the RV Dealers I Trust Network, providing the absolute best buying and ownership experience ever. Go to rvdealersitrust.com. And finally, a special thanks to you for joining me around our virtual campfire. Till next time, I'm Alan Warren, the RV wingman. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. The RV Show USA, start living the RV.